So this morning I just want to, uh, to encourage us in faith. And I want to start uh, off by sharing a story of great faith uh, from Matthew chapter 8. Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount and he and his disciples uh, were headed to Capernaum. So we'll start off in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. It says this, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness and the place where will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Isn't that an amazing demonstration of faith? Jesus said, I will come and I will heal him. And the centurion's response is, You don't even need to come. You don't need to come. You just need to say the word. The centurion understood that Jesus' word was good. He was good to his word. He, He was true. He would speak truth. He didn't lie. And that beyond that, he had the power and the authority to do what was being asked. And it just amazes me. Like, I'm inspired by that story. It's just such an amazing reminder of the power and authority and faithfulness of our God. I mean, even Jesus seemed, like, surprised by this man's faith. You know, he he didn't give us the double truly, which means, hey, really pay attention here. But we got a truly, which still is... You know, hey, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I can see Jesus just smiling at this, going, man, this, this guy, he gets it, he understands. This is a faith that we all aspire to, right? I, I know I do. Um, the centurion knew that when Jesus said it, it was done. I, I want to do that. I want to trust Jesus fully at his word every single time. Be without any doubt. And and we need this kind of faith in our lives, especially now. I mean, we've always needed it, but now more than ever. With the things that we face in this world, COVID and, and just the hate that we're seeing and a lack of peace and unity in our world, it it's crazy. But we can operate in this kind of faith even though it seems difficult and uncommon. Clearly, by Jesus' reaction, it it was uncommon, even then. And it still is now sometimes, I think. But why is that? Is it because our God isn't faithful? Is it because our God isn't trustworthy? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He is faithful, even when we're not faithful. So why does that seem so uncommon? Well, on Wednesday mornings, we have our men's Bible study every week. It's at 6 a.m., which I know is early, but if I can do it, so can you. I am not a morning person. But it is so good. We just get together as men, and we just 
dig into and explore the Word of God and uh, the conversations that come forth and just the things that the Spirit speaks to us and shows us and reveals to us. It's amazing. And a few weeks ago, it's probably been a while ago now, but um, we've been studying 1 Corinthians. And when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, we had a discussion about where our faith rests. And that's the title of my message today is Where Faith Rests. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in uh, persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So that their faith would rest not on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. In discussing this, we ask the question, where does our faith rest? He was trying to share with with the Corinthians where, where their faith should rest. And the wisdom of men is just just one place that it can rest outside of Jesus. It's not where it's supposed to rest, but it's one place that it can and and all too often does. Paul said that he didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, but knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all we need to know. We don't need human wisdom. God's wisdom, though, is just invaluable. He wasn't sharing what he fully understood or from his wealth of knowledge and wisdom, but simply Jesus, Jesus alone and nothing else. Demonstrating the spirit and power of God. Paul's faith rested in Jesus. Not about what he could do, but what he knew his God could do. And friends, I think that's why the faith of the centurion seems so uncommon. The world presents us with so many places to rest our faith. It can rest in the wisdom of men. It can rest in our abilities. It can rest in our resources or in the circumstances around us. The enemy tries to convince us that we don't, we don't need God, that we don't need to trust in him, that, that there's something more real or more tangible than him, that we can take care of ourselves. There's a million and one lies that the enemy throws our way. And then there's the world. Sometimes you hear, you know, some uplifting things, but so often it's just, it's just rough. The things that the world throws at us uh, seek to tear us down. It embraces fear and sadness and grief and despair. Just watch the news. I call it the bad news. I like watch the weather, and even the weather isn't always good news. Like, <laughs> it's just rough. I'm not saying we should be aloof to what's going on in our world, but if we allow what the world reports, what the news is telling us to be our focus, it can be rough. Debbie Horn shared a word from the Lord a few weeks ago on these things, these gifts, gifts that the world tries to give us. And friends, when we allow our faith to rest in something other than Jesus, how easy it is for us to receive those gifts. The fear, the sadness, the despair 
That's what we see every day. It's what we're faced with all the time. When we allow our faith to rest on the things that the world give us, it's, it's depressing. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But so often, friends, we do just that. We lean on our own understanding and we fail to acknowledge him. Our faith rests in something other than our Jesus. Our trust lies in things that we think we understand. But we really don't. I say all this, but I can relate. I can relate to that, or at least I could. When I first came to faith, it was, it was kind of hard for me. I was very much a person that trusted in what I could see, in things that I could experience, I could smell, taste, touch, in things that, in the natural, and in, in, within my senses that I could wrap my head around. I was very much a, uh, I'll believe it when I see it kind of guy. You might even say I was a little pessimistic. I always thought, no, I'm just realistic. But no, I was pessimistic. And I still can be sometimes if I'm honest with myself. But back then especially, my faith and my trust lied in what I could experience and see and understand. And maybe you can relate to that. I know someone in the Bible who could. He was one of the disciples, Thomas. Or perhaps you know him by his alternative moniker, Doubting Thomas. The poor guy. I can relate to him. He got such grief. Yeah, he was a bit of a pessimist. But I can relate to that. I was there. I've been there. I'm still there sometimes. But uh, let's take a look at how Thomas got his nickname. So after Jesus was crucified and laid in the tomb, Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb and found the stone removed. So starting in John 20, verses 1 through 9, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter the... Uh, And the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looked there, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So Mary had found the tomb empty, told Peter and John, and they came to get confirmation. They didn't believe Mary. (laughs) Then Peter and John went back home, and after they leave, Mary stays at the tomb, and she sees two angels, one at the head of, of where Jesus was lying and one at the feet. And they asked her why she was crying, and she tells them. Then she sees Jesus standing there, and he asks her who she's seeking, and she explains, um, you know, I'm looking for my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him, right? Uh, then Jesus calls her by name, and she finally recognizes him. And then Jesus said this to her in John 20:17 and 18. 
Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So then later that evening, when the disciples were all together, uh, Jesus came before all of them. In John 20, 19 through 24, it says, So when it was evening on the, that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. <clears throat> so he said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So then we get to Thomas. Doubting, doubting Thomas. I have to say, y'all, I think he got a really bad rap. He gets stuck with doubting Thomas when clearly none of the other disciples believe anything either. Mary tells Peter and John that the tomb is empty and what did they do? They go running. They're like, no, we don't believe you. We got to go check this out. So then Jesus comes to visit them and says, peace be with you and shows them his hands and his side. And, and only then do they believe. But when Thomas doubts, they stick him with doubting Thomas. It's not fair. Maybe I'm a little too upset. I just, I, me and Thomas are, are boys. Like I can relate. You know, he wasn't there. He didn't run to the tomb to see that it was empty. He didn't get to see when Jesus first came. He wasn't there. Bad rap. Anyway, we'll continue on in verse 25. So John 25, 20, uh, John 20, 25 through 29 says this. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails... And put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Have we done this, guys? Have we done this? When Jesus tells us something. Now, granted, this is the disciples telling him something. But when Jesus says something to us, do we say, I, I won't believe it until I see it? I've done it. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the doors, having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it to my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered to him and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they that did not see and yet believed. Now, I do think Thomas got a bad rap because all throughout the Bible, you can see the other disciples lacking in faith as well. But what Jesus told Thomas is true. That statement, it, it, it still stands. It's still truth. Blessed are those that do not see and yet believe. Friends, we're blessed when we do not see, but we still believe. When our faith rests in God and not in our senses, not in the natural or logic human wisdom, not in the things that we understand. 
when our faith rests in the power of God, we are blessed. When our faith rests in the power of God, we have hope. Hope for things that are beyond what we can do or make come about. So why did Thomas doubt that Jesus had been resurrected? I mean, I know he wasn't in the room when Jesus raised Jairus, the synagogue leader's daughter. Only a few were allowed in. But he was with them. Thomas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days when they arrived. Perhaps Thomas thought that Jesus was able to raise them because Jesus was alive. But how could he raise himself if he was dead? Friends, we can't apply natural laws or human logic or human understanding to our supernatural God. If we only trust what we can see and understand and touch and feel, we're putting limits on what our God can do. And friends, our God is limitless. He is limitless. Sometimes we allow our faith to rest in the natural or in understanding or in human wisdom. And we forget that we serve a supernatural God. There are so many things that our faith can rest in. Where does your faith rest? Where does my faith rest? What are you believing for and what assurance do you have that it will come? I think faith is so beautifully described in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When our faith rests in Jesus, we have hope. We have assurance. We don't have to see. We can have faith like that of the centurion. We can reject the lies that the enemy and the world throw at us. When our faith rests in the power and authority of God, we can see the miraculous because he is capable of the miraculous. Peter experienced this, albeit only for a moment. He walked on water with Jesus. Jesus and the disciples had just fed the 5,000, and Jesus sent the disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 29 says this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowd away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then Peter's response is, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And, and Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Jesus said, come, and Peter stepped out. In that moment, Peter's faith was in Jesus. He wasn't trusting in his own ability or understanding. I don't see in Scripture that Peter regularly took evening strolls on the lake or anything. So it's not like he had experience that he was relying on. He just trusted in Jesus, and then the miraculous happened. He walked on water with Jesus. 
But we know what happens next, right? In verse 30 and 31. It says, But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took a hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Friends, I think we've all found ourselves here as well where we build up the courage or whatever to, to step out, to trust God, to, to do what he's asking of us. But then we see the circumstances around us and we begin to lose faith. We start to sink or we stumble. Sometimes we even fall. But friends, we have to realize that sometimes we're going to stumble in our faith. Sometimes we're going to sink a little. And we might even get wet. But we can't allow that to take our eyes off the fact that our God is faithful. And he's always faithful. We can't allow the focus to be that we stepped out and we got wet and forget and miss the fact that for a brief moment, even if it's for a moment that we walked on water, that we were walking out the faithfulness of God, that we trusted him and he responded. It's so easy for us to focus on the negative for the times we stumble, the times we get wet. Things may not always pan out the way that we think they should, but our God is always, always, always faithful. When our faith rests in Jesus and his power and his authority, anything is possible. No wind or wave can shake us. So why did Peter sink? Fear? Yeah, in part, fear. But honestly, I think it's because he took his eyes off Jesus. He stopped looking at Jesus and instead he saw the wind and that became his focus. He saw the waves and he saw all these things and he allowed circumstance to cast doubt and doubt to bring fear. I've done that. I've done that. We've all done that. It's so important, friends, that we keep our eyes on Jesus. If our faith rests in him and our trust rests in him, we just got to stay locked into what he's doing, to what he's speaking, to what he's showing us. Sometimes we allow our faith to rest in circumstances and we forget that no circumstance is bigger than our God. No matter what struggle it is, He is bigger. He is greater. Another thing that we can allow our faith to rest in is our resources. I think as a man, I probably struggle with this more than some women, but we all deal with it. We don't like to ask for help. We want to be self-reliant, self-sufficient. We don't want to be a bother or a burden. And so we make our plans and we solve our problems with our resources our abilities, our talents, and our finances. I remember um, some time ago, one of our friends, uh, Kevin and Cindy Booth, they came, and they shared with us a story about their refrigerator. It had failed, and of, of course the first instinct is, well, it's, we got to replace it. we got to go get a new one. But they didn't have money for a new one. So do we go to Jesus? hopefully. But often the first instinct is, well, 
get the credit card out, let's go buy a new refrigerator. For those of you that haven't heard this story, it went a different way though. They took a moment and they paused and they said, let's borrow a cooler from the neighbor and get some ice and put all our stuff in the cooler and let's just pray and ask Jesus to help us with this. And if I remember correctly, they got a free refrigerator within a couple of days. Friends, God is bigger than a refrigerator or a car or your house or whatever it is. We can't let our faith rest in our resources because our God is bigger and our resources are limited. Are we willing to let our faith rest in Jesus instead of our finances or our skills or our abilities? Are we willing to trust him with what we have instead of trusting in what we have? If we want to see the glory of God in our lives, we've got to trust him. And it's not enough to just trust him with some things, but with all things, with everything, with everything we are, with everything we have. If we trust in what we have instead of Jesus, we're going to be sad. Like the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus was setting out and was stopping by, stopped by a man um, that asked him how to inter, uh, inherit eternal life. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22, it says this. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now friends, there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with um, owning property. But are we willing to give it all up to trust Jesus? Are we worried that if we can't provide for ourselves that Jesus won't provide for us? Do we believe in the golden rule instead of the rule and reign of Christ? Our God is faithful and he will provide all that we need. We just have to allow our faith to rest in him. Now this man went away sad because clearly he trusted more in what he had than in what Jesus could provide for him. Sometimes we allow our faith to rest in our limited resources and we forget that our God's resources are limitless. Friends, I know some of this may seem like down and I'm not trying to bring you down. I, I really am trying to encourage us to faith today. To aspire to the faith of the centurion, to just trust in what Jesus tells us. I want to see God move and I want to be used by him. I want to see the miraculous. I don't seek after the miraculous, I seek after God, but, but I want to see the miraculous. We all do, right? Well, in order for that to happen, we've got to flip things around. We've got to watch where our faith is resting. 
And it needs to rest in Jesus alone. You know, the Bible says we have to walk by sight and not by faith, right? Oh, wait, no. I got that backwards. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5-7 through says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Friends, faith comes first. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by human wisdom, not by circumstance, not by what we have or what we can do but by faith in our Jesus who has been given the name above all names, who isn't limited by the laws of nature or our understanding or our circumstances or our resources, who is powerful and mighty and loving and faithful and trustworthy. Faith comes first. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus can't do whatever he wants to do because I'm not going to put it in my box. He can do whatever he wants to do, but in Scripture I see that this is the way he wants it that faith comes first, that he wants us to trust him. I want to go back to to Hebrews 1. 11.1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, but it goes on. In verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. I'm going to go through these kind of fast and I'm going to abbreviate some of them, but Hebrews 11, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. 11.5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. 11, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. 11.8, by faith, Abraham, he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. It goes on, but we'll stop there. Byron, if you could come up. Friends, faith comes first. Trust in God. But then we have to put our faith into action. The waters of the Jordan didn't part until the Israelites stepped in the water. The lame man in Lystra didn't walk until Paul said, stand upright on your feet. Peter didn't walk on water until he stepped out of the boat. When our faith rests in Jesus and Jesus alone, we can boldly step out in faith. We don't have to fear. Our God is trustworthy. But we do have to be willing to get out of the boat. Friends, Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And friends, we are blessed. When we don't see, but we are still willing to step out in faith, we are blessed. And what are we blessed with? Increased faith. Because when we give God the opportunity to show himself faithful, he's faithful. Because he's always faithful. So every time we trust in him and we step out and we just do whatever it is that the Lord is calling us to do, he gives us an opportunity to increase in our faith. And sometimes we get to see the miraculous. When we trust God and we step out in faith, we give him the opportunity to show himself faithful and he's always faithful. But here's the amazing, wonderful, loving thing about our Jesus is he's always willing to meet us where we are 
So wherever you are in your faith journey, he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. He isn't afraid of our doubt or our uncertainty. What was the first thing that Jesus did when he saw Thomas? After Thomas made that statement, I won't believe until I see. He said, peace be with you. Look, Thomas. Look at my hands. Look at my side. He'll meet us where we are. What was the first thing that Jesus did when Peter started to sink and cried out to to Jesus, save me? He reached out his hand. You know, he challenged him after that. But he'll meet us where we are. He's not afraid of our doubts. Friends, he has met me where I am so many times and he'll do the same for you. we want to see the miraculous, if we want to be used by God, if we want to um, just see the glory of God, we have to trust him. But he'll meet us where we are. I remember a number of years ago, we had our friend Mike Hanchett with us when we were still meeting on Saturday nights in Old Town. And if you don't know Mike, he, he flows in the prophetic and he was sharing words with people that night. And I remember that night, there was a young woman off to the side of the, of the stage and the Lord told me that he had a word for her. And he wanted me to go and give it to her. And I said, okay, Lord, what's the word? But he didn't give it. He just said, just go. I have a word for her. So I got nervous and I kept asking him and he kept telling me, just go, just trust me. So by the time I had built up my courage and whatever to just trust God and say, okay, I trust you. If you say that you have a word for you, you have a word for her. She had already left. She kind of snuck out. But later in the service, Mike was looking around for the same young woman because he had a word for her. Mike had also found that she had left, but, but friends, that's Jesus meeting me where I was at. He did that for my benefit. Even though the opportunity had passed, when I made the decision, when I finally said, yes, I will trust you and I will step out in faith, he showed me that he was faithful, that I didn't mishear him, that he did have a word for her and that I could trust him. Friends, he'll meet you wherever you are in your faith, but I encourage you, don't miss another opportunity. I learned from that. I learned that, that I can trust him. But you, you know, what's, what's the worst that could happen? I look foolish? So what? <laughs> Who cares? What's the best that could happen? He can use you to change somebody's life. He could use you to heal somebody. Don't miss another opportunity, friends. If you find it difficult to step out in faith, just take a quick look at where your faith is resting and place it where it belongs completely and totally in Jesus. Be bold. Believe Jesus for the unthinkable. If what you're dreaming about or thinking of or or praying for is, is within your means or grasp, you're not dreaming big enough. You're not thinking big enough. Step out of the boat. Step into the water and let your faith rest in him.